welcome back to the wise man's page the daily podcast where we read patrick rothfuss's the wise man's fear page by page this is page 713 drink again tempe said and though his face and voice were carefully controlled i could tell he was concerned i took another sip to pacify him then as if my body suddenly realized it needed the water i became very thirsty and took several large swallows I stopped before I drank too much and cramped my stomach. Tempe nodded. Approval. Am I speaking well, then? I said to distract myself from my thirst. You are speaking well for a child. Very well for a barbarian. Only well? Am I making the words wrong? You touch eyes too much. He widened his eyes and stared pointedly into my own, unblinking. Also, your words are good, but simple. You must teach me more words, then. He shook his head serious. You already know too many words. Too many? Tempe, I know very few. It is not the words, it is their use. In Adem there is an art to speaking. There are those who can say many things with one thing. My Shaheen is such. They say a thing in one breath, and others will find meaning in it for a year. Gentle reproach. Too often you say more than you need. You should not speak an Ademic as you sing in a Turin. A hundred words to praise a woman. Too many. Our talk is smaller. So, when I meet a woman, I should simply say, You are beautiful. Tempe shook his head. No, you would say simply, Beautiful, and let the woman decide the rest of what you mean. Isn't that... I didn't know the words for vague or unspecific and had to start again to get my point across. Doesn't that lead to confusion? It leads to thoughtfulness, he said firmly. It is delicate. That should always be the concern when one is speaking. To be too much talking, he shook his head. Disapproval. It is... He stalled, searching for a word. Rude? Negation. Frustration. I go to Severin, and there are people who stink. There are people who do not. Both are people, but those who do not stink are people of quality. He tapped my chest firmly with two fingers. You are not a goater. You are a student of the Lethani, my student. You should speak as a person of quality. But what about clarity? What if you were building a bridge? There are many pieces to that. All of them must be said clearly. Of course, Tempe said. Agreement. Sometimes. But in most things, important things, delicate is better. Small is better. Tempe reached out and gripped my shoulder firmly. Then he looked up and ended the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. Oh yeah, I was waiting for Nick to go, and I'm Nick, but he's not here. He's uh, he's still away on business. So we're learning a lot about class in Edemic society because, like, what Tempe is describing is like a class distinction around etiquette. He's not saying nobody in Edemra talks this way. He's saying if you talk like this and not like that, that says something about your position in society, and if you talk the way you've been talking, you're going to embarrass me because you you say you use too many words. If you have to speak more precisely to communicate that you are a person of quality, because his equivalent of a person without quality is a goat herd, you know, a person of like low social station, he is telling us that he's a person of high social station and that Quoth must be too because he is his student. I see. Yes, I, it, uh, it, it occurs to me that I think I would be of low station. Well, I think most Who's people ever. would. <laughs> right? I think I would be a barbarian or a child. 
Yes, of course you would. I say because I am an over. I am an over communicator. I definitely would use too many words. Right, but if you had been socialized in Edemra and and brought up in by people of quality, you probably would be a person of quality yourself, right? The distinction that Tempe is describing, I think, is like My Fair Lady, right? It's it's Pygmalion. I've actually never seen My Fair Lady, but I do understand the concept. And he is he is My Fair Lady in Quoth, right? He is teaching Quoth how to behave in polite company, in like society. Very well. Yes, Quoth is the lady. Yes. And I think that the the equation of brevity being the soul of wit, this kind of like stoic, say a lot with as few words as possible attitude is reminiscent of the word laconic, which has its roots in the area of Greeks of Greece called Laconia and the Lacedaemonians who lived there. Well, the people from Lacedaemonia are also called Spartans and uh, the people of Sparta were famed in the ancient world for being laconic. Oh, no. That is to say, they said a lot with very few words. So Spartans equals a Turin. No, sorry, other way around. Spartans equals <laughs> not a Turin. The, the Adem? The Adem. They both start with A. <laughs> I think that Rothfuss might be drawing here because he's trying to build the Adem up as like a, a society who are famed for their martial prowess, he's thinking about other societies who are famed for their martial prowess. And uh, I think he's part of the reason that the Adem feel like a distinct culture is because Rothfuss draws from many influences, not one influence. Obviously, their proficiency in hand-to-hand combat and the kind of quasi-spiritual, philosophical underpinnings of the Lathani make them feel a lot like characters in like an, an Asian martial arts film uh, in, in the Wuxia genre who are often warrior monks, like Buddhist monks. In this capacity of stoicism or, or laconic wit, I think he's drawing on uh, that kind of like idea about the Spartans. And I know it's just an alliteration, but Lathani and laconic kind of sound similar. <laughs> yeah, that might not be a complete coincidence. My my fun bit of trivia for the day is that all the best lines in the graphic novel and film 300 uh, are taken from much, much older, hist- you know, primary and secondary sources about that are basically things that the Spartans are said to have said in and around the battle at Thermopylae. So when the Persians say, you know, our arrows are going to blot out the sun and the Spartan says, well, then we'll fight in the shade. That's apparently something that some guy at the Battle of Thermopylae did say, uh, which one cannot deny is badass. That is badass. I agree. And similarly, there's a famous instance of like, you know, the emissary of some foreign empire, probably the Persians, coming to the to Sparta and saying, you know, if you don't surrender to us, when we invade, we're going to like burn your city down. We're going to take you all as slaves. We're going to like do terrible things to your wives and your children. And the Spartan... A messenger was sent with a reply and the reply was simply if (laughs) i love it the illustrative example of that kind of like laconic wit that's so good i love that soon we're going to get into the whole spinning leaf thing in the book but that concept feels like it's everywhere 
in like both literature and history. Sometimes it feels like Rothfuss is pulling things from specific places, but I think in the case of stuff to do with leaves, it comes from all over the place. And I think that's what I wanted to say. Can you give me an example? So the idea of, uh, so you were talking about how in the movie that's not Firefly, how the the guy says that he's going to, he says, watch me be like a leaf in the wind. He says, I am a leaf on the wind, which is almost exactly like, I didn't bring it up because I thought it was a similar idea. I brought it up on the previous page because Rothfuss uses almost the exact phrasing but I think that even that exact phrasing is something that is used a lot in a lot of different places because that's a thing that occurs in nature all the time. And I think it's just in a lot of places throughout literature, history, and just general reality. Like to have a leaf on the wind is just everywhere. Yes, the image of a leaf being blown around by the wind is a common image that that you might find. And I suppose it is possible that Rothfuss is just picking up on that imagery and running with it. But I feel like that specific phrasing, given when this book was written and when that movie came out, is too close to be coincidence to me. Okay. Well, we can agree to disagree. No. (laughs) Only Jeremy can be right. That's correct. I see. I see how it is. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about on this page? No, I'm all good. Cool. Well, then we might as well get to the mailbag. Mailbag. This message is from Jacob from Tennessee, who writes to the maw of Mr. Mailbag. Hello, page grazers. A quick thought on the Cathay's tree. It certainly makes sense that Quoth's box is made of the same wood, but I believe that its scent smells differently to other people. It's designed to be uniquely alluring to each individual. Maybe that's why the Cathay chose to dwell there. Even if it's imprisoned in the tree, the tree's beauty and aroma is such that it naturally draws people to it. In this way, it is vaguely reminiscent of Amortentia, the love potion from Harry Potter. That also smelled unique to each individual and was intentionally enticing. Also, I don't have any opinion on the Cathay's gender, but it does seem like it is fae in origin. Maybe I'm misremembering something, but its disdain for iron on page 678 seems like a big hint. Sincerely, Jacob from Tennessee. Okay, wait, I'm confused. Was it not already a for sure thing that the that the Cathay was fae? That is certainly my assumption. No one ever says in the book, the Cathay is a fae. It's a 20th level fae, and its challenge rating is 15. But I think that we're meant to assume that it's fae. Uh, because it's, it lives in the Fae, and as Jacob rightly points out, it has an antipathy towards iron. So I think that those those context clues are meant to tell us that it's Fae. Also, just because it's in the Fae. Well, yes. Like, I feel like anything that Quoth would have encountered in the Fae would still be Fae. Like, I know that we encounter things like fish and butterflies, but I would I still consider them to be Fae fish and Fae butterflies. I write, I mean, I think the counterexample is Valerian herself. Is she not Fae? Well, she predates the Fae. She's older oh. than the Fae. Oh, I think the Cathay is older than the Fae as well, though. Yes, perhaps it is, because Yax spoke to it before stealing the moon, 
And that's what caused the creation war to happen. So perhaps it is not Faye. But but perhaps here's here's perhaps how we can square the circle. Neither Fullerian or Cathay originate in Fae, but because they have lived there for so long, they have become of the Fae, and like other creatures of the Fae, they are allergic to iron. Okay. They've they've become naturalized Fae in the same way that if you live in a country long enough, you just kind of become a citizen. Okay. Is that a thing? I mean, some in some places and sometimes. All right. That's that. That's how I feel about it. And I also think that Jacob's right that it does make a certain kind of sense, not to not to get all punny, that <laughs> if the point of the scent of the Cathayus tree is to entice people closer, then it makes sense to me that it smells like whatever would be enticing to you. Yes, I agree that that is a reasonable assumption or idea. Well, Jacob, thanks so much for writing. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you uh, from Darkest Tennessee. And... Listeners, we will hear from you from darkest wherever you are on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind.